Stop Sucking at Business, Episode 30. It's time to grow your business, stop spinning your wheels, and build the life you deserve. And I'm here to help. My name is Megan Brain. This is Stop Sucking at Business. Hey guys, Megan Brame here. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I can't believe this is 30. This is my dirty 30. So excited and such a nerd. Sorry. You know how it goes by now. So I wanted to do something a little bit special with this episode. First, I want to tell you that I am enjoying a glass of Merlot right now because it is Friday. It is after five o'clock and that's just... You know, it's time, right? It's time. So this is going to be super interesting. Um, I am commemorating 30 episodes with doing a question and answer session that I got from my newsletter list. So first off, thank you to all of those that sent me questions. It's it's humbling and it's overwhelming and it's uh, it's amazing that people would come to me with these kind of questions. So um, I don't take it lightly. And thank you so much to those who did. They actually all get a copy of my Scoping for Business book, too. As just a little, like, mm, just a little thanks. But um, I picked a couple questions that I think just over my experience have been questions I get a lot and questions that I feel are important questions to answer, if that makes sense. Um, but I'll let you guys be the judge of that. I hope that this episode is fun for you because it was really fun for me to do and is fun for me to do right now. I guess the Merlot has kicked in. Okay, <laughs> let's just get started. Sarah asked, what are your most successful tips for working at home? So I guess, um, what are my best tips for working at home? And I'm going to do this kind of generally. Uh, what are my best tips for running a business? My first one, when you're working at home, when you're working for yourself, is get dressed. Do not be in your PJs. Do not be in a towel. But you know what I mean? Like get up, get dressed, go to work. I know that a big lure of being self-employed and working from home is like, I can, I can just work in my PJs. And if you have that kind of discipline, then you are far and away better than I am. But I need to go to work. So I need to put on deodorant. I need to put on the good bra and a pair of jeans, you know, or a dress. I, I don't wear my business suit. Like I say, the suit that I'm saving for whatever court date I'll have someday. <laughs> I just put on a pair of jeans and a shirt and do some makeup. I don't do like contouring or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I take it seriously. I go to work and that's probably my most successful tip. My second thing, and this is sort of a side note, but it's something that I think that I, I've seen this in my mastermind group a couple of times and in my own life as well. And so I want to bring it up. And that is don't take no shit. Stick up for yourself. If you feel slighted by another person it, for your business or for your life, um, stick up for yourself. Don't let it fester. Say to the person like you did this, 
and it hurt me, or you did this and I don't appreciate that in my business, things like that. Don't let people walk over you. And like I said, I'm only bringing that up because I suffer from that. And I know people in my mastermind group have suffered from it. And it, don't let it happen. You are brilliant. You are an entrepreneur. You are amazing. You deserve to be treated respectfully and amazingly. So don't take no shit. Those are my two tips for successfully working at home for yourself. One, get dressed. Two, don't let people walk over you. That goes for clients. That goes for customers. That goes for colleagues. Don't get bullied. Don't let yourself get bullied. Stand up for yourself. I know it's sometimes hard because you're in business and it's your business. It's your baby. And so you're like, I don't want to make anybody mad or I don't want to do this or I don't want people to talk badly about me. Look, there's like how many billions of people in the world. If one person gets mad because you said, Hey, that's not cool. There's many other people that you can deal with. They'll go away. Don't worry about them. Those are my two tips for success. Yes. Get dressed, get down to business and don't take no shit. Okay. Oh, Brianna asked, how do you stay motivated during slumps? Oh my God. This is such a good question. And this answer isn't mine. This answer is Tim Ferriss's. And you've probably heard me mention his name before. If you haven't, or you don't know who he is, uh, Tim Ferriss is like my guru. He is the author of The 4-Hour Workweek. And that book is my Bible. That book changed my life. I was working at, I was working a temp job at um, an art institute, like, this is a horribly mundane job. Like people were really nice, but just the most mundane job of looking for duplicate entries in a database. And I like, I couldn't automate it. I couldn't, and I had to do it one by, and there were thousands. Oh my God, there were thousands. And so it was just looking at a database all day and getting yelled at if I got caught looking at the internet, which happened a lot because I was so bored. But I remember reading it on my lunch breaks. Like I would go for a walk down by the river in Pittsburgh and read this book. And it was just like, it blew my mind. And ever since then, I've just like, whatever he says, I'm like, that's brilliant. Maybe not whatever he says, but he has a lot of good ideas. One of the good ideas that I got from him is actually from an ex-girlfriend of his, I believe, where she said, you should create a jar of awesome and just put all of your little wins in it so that when you're not feeling motivated, when you're feeling kind of slumpy or dumpy or sad, just pick up that jar of awesome and look at all your little wins. And so that's what I do. Uh, if you go on the blog, I think it's my tiny workspace makeover where you see my embarrassingly small workspace that I have right now in my embarrassingly small Brooklyn apartment. And there is a little jar on the right hand side of my wall that is filled with yellow post-its, yellow folded up post-its. And those are all my little wins. And that's my jar of awesome. And I hope that I will fill it every year. And well, actually, I hope that I will fill it before the end of a year. But in the meantime, I've got maybe like 15 or 20 since I started putting them in. And it's hard to remember 
to celebrate the little wins. And it's especially hard to remember that you have won something. And so you should write it down. So it's not, um, it's not an automatic thing. I think it's a lesson in discipline too, but yeah, that's how I usually stay motivated is I'll pull out my little post-it notes in my jar of awesome. And it's just like a, a clear Mason jar I got at the dollar store. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing, you know, modge podged or anything like that. It's just a jar. It's just a vessel. Right. And so that's how I usually stay motivated. If that doesn't work, I have a little section, a little archive in my email of thank yous. Thank yous from fans, reviews of my old products, um, Facebook messages. Like I have this archive in Evernote. Yes, I started using Evernote finally, right? I love Evernote now. But I have this little collection. It's like my little rainy day collection where I put all together all of like the little a little oomphs, you know, and that usually helps me. If that doesn't work, then I just take a day off. And because no good work is going to get done that day if I feel gross and I don't want to do it or I'm just totally lethargic and apathetic and it's not going to work, then you know what? I'm my boss and I'm giving myself a mental health day. So I don't recommend doing that all the time, but that's sort of like a DEFCON one level situation where I'm just like, I got to walk away from this for one day and just go take a walk, go to dinner with friends, hang out, something, and not feel guilty about that. That's the hardest part, right? Is not feeling guilty about not working, but it needs to be done sometimes. So that's what I usually do. And right now I'm going to take a little glass or a little glass. Maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to take a little drink from my wine. Give me one second. And by the way, I am a, a wine drinker, but I'm not a wine snob. I am pro quantity rather than quality. Steve and I usually get a big box of Franzia for Thanksgiving when we have our own Thanksgiving, just the two of us. And that's it, man. It's good times. Uh, I don't know what I'm drinking right now, but it isn't a bottle or it wasn't a bottle before it ended up in my glass. But no, I'm, I'm not a wine snob and I happily indulge in any kind of wine that's in front of my face. Okay. <laughs> Sam has a question. Can you run through your plan on closing your business? Yes. Okay. So let's see. When did it start? I would say it started... <sighs> Did it start really in June 2015? I guess so. When I heard that episode of Smart Passive Income with Shalene Johnson and Pat Flynn is the host, but Shalene Johnson is the guest. If that makes sense. She's not hosting the podcast. Anyways, Megan, stay on track. That was the time when I was doing Birchbox, which was 42,000 units and by myself because I was insane, still insane. And her episode was about how she had done everything in her business and basically burnt out and just, it, it was like a slap in the face when I heard that podcast episode. And so that's when I really decided to take a hard look at my business and like, what am I doing? What do I really, so that's when I started to focus on what do I want this to be when it grows up, you know, not to be Glody McLoderson or Bodie McBoatface. Is that over yet? Or are we still, is that still cool? Okay. You know, my business had one 
five awards. It was in a hundred over a hundred press publications. My name was in the New York Times. All of these really baller things had happened to me because of my business, but I was still so miserable. And what was going to override, you know, like what was going to win in this thunderdome of experiences? Like, was I going to just slog on and say, oh, this is just a dark period? Or was I going to say, I don't want this anymore. And that's what won the, I don't want this anymore. So what am I going to do? Okay. I am going to, well, what all needs to be done? That's what I started to figure out. What was the biggest thing that needed to be done? Get rid of inventory, right? That was like the huge thing that had to be done. And get rid of inventory, pay off debt, uh, close the business. And I was originally planning to close the business in late 2016, when Steve and I would move upstate out of Brooklyn, I wouldn't take the business with me. But then as it got further and further in the year, I was like, well, my lease is up in May, 2016 for my studio. Maybe I should just do it then because they're going to, my rent's going to go up. I don't even want to be here. I don't even want to do this. So why should I pay, you know, close to a thousand dollars every month for something I don't even want to do anymore. So that's when, all right, I had my deadline. I had my needs, get rid of inventory, pay off debt. And that's when I started to work on my plan. So I did, um, I did a half booth at one of the holiday markets here in Brooklyn or in New York. Um, it was at Columbus circle and it was every day, December 1st through 24th. And I just, everything that I could make and sell, I've made and sold and just tried to clear everything out. And obviously, you know, I didn't end up with a totally bare booth, but, um, after that I lowered all the prices and began to work with, uh, flash sale sites like Zulily and guilt, um, not guilt, like guilty, but G I L T. Um, and yeah, that's how I really broke down the getting rid of the inventory and also paying off debt. I knew that I was going to transition over to this. So I had to really work on two game plans, right? I had to work on phasing out that business and building up this, whatever it would be, you know, it was handmade Brooklyn at the time both the podcast and my website. And so I had to kind of work in two mindsets of closing and building. And what was I going to do with my business? Well, I, and I think I mentioned this before that I had talked to a business broker back in, I guess when I had finally made my plans to like, I was going to close and I think that was like late July, 2015. And I talked to a broker. He sent me over some stuff and talked to some people that were interested in, I just, I wasn't feeling it. And it wasn't for, I mean, I would have got, I guess I would have got paid. Well, I know I would have got paid, but like, I guess I would have got good money for it, but I didn't like the way it was turning out. I just, I, and I can't put my finger on what exactly it was. I just, it felt skeezy. The whole thing just felt skeezy to sell my business to somebody else. And 
for the record, it wasn't like, oh, this is my baby. You must no. It wasn't anything like that. It was more just like, I don't know. It, I I can't put my finger on it, but something didn't feel right. And that's when I was like, I got to figure out another way to do this. And I had had people email me before on my, before I had this at all, who were like, will you teach me how to do this? Or how do you do, how did you make your scrub or how to blah, blah, blah. Where are your packaging from? And <laughs> I, full disclosure, I got really annoyed by that because I was like, would you ask L'Oreal how they did that? Like that wasn't, that's, my information that's what I worked for and I was like wait a minute I have all this information the information's not gonna go away it's still in my brain I still have all these formulas these formulas won a lot of awards maybe I should sell those maybe I should sell them to whoever wants them and so that's when I got the idea to you know package up all of my stuff and sell it. And that's what beautybizpro.com is. It hasn't launched yet because, you know, we're still working out a smidge of the legal details, you know, basically saying like, look, these formulas work, but if you burn your eye off, I didn't do anything, you know, that kind of stuff. Please don't burn your eye off. I don't think you would ever burn your eye off, but I'm, just be careful. Okay. So I had to make a plan for that. So I guess three businesses, right? I had to close my skincare business. I had to ramp up this business and then I had to do beauty biz pro also. So it was all just a bunch of writing down, planning calendars, like writing, Oh, so many calendars. And then I had to start all over again, right? I have to, and I was not a big wig. I was not the big fish at all in skincare. But I was still, like, I still had some colleagues, you know? I still, I had, I could kind of leverage my uh, whatever for my benefit. And here I was, nobody cared. Nobody cared who I was. I was new. And so I had to really work on that. And that's when I started making plans to find like-minded people, bloggers, podcasters, whatever, people that were kind of at my level or a little bit higher that, you know, we could kind of help each other. And I think that when I wanted to make that happen, that's when I was really like, I need to find a mastermind group. And I started one with, I think it's now a dozen women that were in a class with me and it's been the best, like, it's just amazing. And so I definitely always recommend finding other people. Don't be an island. Make sure that you're always getting different perspectives in your business. And yeah, definitely make sure. Is that a good answer? So I guess I had to put all the pieces together to see what had to go get rid of. Um, I had to make it known. That's another point. Um, and then I had to build up this business. And so uh, making it known was the most difficult part for me because I really didn't want to let my customers down. I felt really bad about that part, but uh, I just knew that I had to do it. And so I dragged my feet for a couple months about telling, like making the big announcement, but I did. And the website shut down and that was, um, that was that man. There's still some few pieces of inventory left and they're in a warehouse in, uh, 
an area called the Navy Yard here in Brooklyn, and they it's pretty automated now. And I think that if there's anything left after holiday season, then I'll just probably toss whatever's left because I don't want to deal with it when I'm upstate. We'll see, though. I mean, that's still the big plan. So um, did I tell any of my wholesale clients? No. Did I tell press people? No. I just I just closed it and I told my customers because they were the ones that mattered to me. Um, yeah. I hope that answers your question. Oh my God. We are running at like 20 minutes already. Okay. Let me do one more then. Louise. Oh, hey, Louise. Yay. She asked me, Megan, how do you deal with negative people leaving negative reviews? Okay. Let me get a sip of wine for this one because it's going to be a doozy. Okay. (laughs) Negative people. I made it. I feel like a Kimmy Schmidt or something by saying this, but I made it a goal to get rid of a lot of negative people in my life. And some of these people I was incredibly close with. I had had relationships for a long time and I just, it it wasn't benefiting me and it certainly wasn't benefiting them to keep them in my life. And that sounds pretty shitty, I guess, but I wasn't living for them. You know, like I, what's the point of feeling heavy when their emails came in or what's, you know, it was just, what kind of relationship was this? It was like a bad relationship. And so I did cut negative people out of my life and I try and keep people in that are positive or that are, I mean, nobody is always on antidepressants, right? Um, there are, there are days that we all have slumps and it's fine. But when you're overly negative, I try and push you out of my life. Um, as for negative customers, leaving negative reviews, there's two ways to handle it. One is try and see what the real pain is and you can ask them or you can kind of infer from what their review is. If their review was just like, I didn't like this because the smell was weird. Well, okay. You didn't like the smell. Somebody else did. So whatever. Um, if they're being purposely vindictive and like serious jerks, it's like I said in the first question, stand up for yourself, man, or push them out of your life. There's once again, there's like 8 billion people in the world. If one person doesn't like you, no big deal. Don't worry about it. I would say that if you, and this sounds so Gandhi or something like that, but if you are positive, if you come from a place that you want to help, then you're going to attract people that are into that. If you come from a place where you just want money or you come from a place that you'll get yours, then you're going to attract that energy too. You know, I've learned that if I truly feel like I want to help people and not I want to help people and get paid. You know what I mean? Like if I, and this goes for products too. Like I want to make something that helps someone feel more confident about their complexion, or I want to make something that 
cheer someone up when they're sick. So I make funny cards or, you know what I mean? Like I want, I want to make someone's perfect sweater that they just curl up in. And that's where the positivity comes from. And that's who you attract when you have that. Because if you act that way, it comes out in your, your photography, it comes out in your product copy. And that's something I teach in perfect product copy, but it just, it exudes from you. You know, it's like, it comes out of your pores and it attracts the kind of people that are into that. So I would say if you're dealing with negative people, try and find out where the negativity is coming from. And if it's coming from you, take steps to change it. If it's not coming from you, try and figure out the pain points. If there aren't any pain points that you can see, wish them well, let it go. Be like that little frozen song, right? Don't let it get to you. Business is not sunshine and puppies all the time, but when it's good, it's good, you know? And so that's why you should keep going. That's why you should have a jar of awesome and stay motivated. And that's why you should take no shit and get dressed. Did I cover all of them? I think so. But of course, okay. But I feel like I am, I mean, obviously I know I'm talking a lot because it's my podcast, right? But I feel like I'm not covering enough questions in the time. So I apologize. Uh, I'm going to try and knock three more down. And so hopefully that will feel like you're getting your value for this. (laughs) Tommy asks, what's the worst job you ever had before? And I usually answer this with my worst job ever was selling vacuum cleaners door to door. It was, it was commission only. And you would spend like 12, 14 hours every day in a van with these people who were fine people. I mean, you know, no judgment to them just like slugging away. And essentially I was doing indentured servitude where I would go and clean someone's house to show off the vacuum cleaner, which was like $1,500 or something ridiculous like that. And then they'd be like, no, I'm not interested. And then I'd have to get back in the van and go into the next house and clean their house for free. And I sold one. I'll never forget that woman. She had the best cat rug I've ever seen. It was just like this plush rug that had cats all over it. And I spent like four hours in her house, just hanging out with her and talking and, um, cleaning occasionally, but yeah, she was really cool. And she bought my only one. And I think I got enough to pay my rent. And then I left because I could not, I could not anymore. You know, I could not, but so that's the answer I usually use for, that's like my default answer of what's the worst job I ever had. Another way to look at it is I had a successful job as a project manager for a startup website company. And I was in charge of handling the projects that weren't e-commerce based. So if somebody did like a campaign or a giveaway or um, a catalog of just like showing off their luxury jewelry, that's what I handled and that's what I managed. And the people, like the people that were on my level, the people that I worked with there were totally awesome and amazing the management was so awful, so 
unable to manage and expected, and I feel like this is happening a lot now, just expected constant availability, weekends, evenings, whatever. I always got yelled at for not staying late or not being available on the weekends and like, but in like a passive aggressive way, like the manager would pull me aside. And so, um, you come in at 10 and then you leave at six and all of the other people stay late. And I was like, yeah, but my schedule says 10 to six and my work gets done. I'm not going to sit here just to sit here. So it was just abysmal and it was actually a very dark period for me. That was where I really felt like I can't, I, I can't, I was making okay money and Steve and I were able to get an, you know, upgrade our apartment, get a nicer apartment, have nicer things, but it was awful. It was, I came home and I cried every night and I drank every night. And it was just that, that was a dark time. And I left there after I think just over a year, like a year and a week or something like that. And yeah, I just remember that I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't have it inside of me to do this anymore. I've worked terrible jobs before and, you know, waitressing, customer service, all of those. I've done those before and I would do them in a heartbeat over this. And so I left that job and it was, oh, even now I'm just like, oh my God, that was so terrible. So I guess I have two answers for that, but to leave it on a better note, uh, the best job I ever had that isn't my own, my own hustle is, um, I did website development and social media for a university and a university side project. Like this is their, um, like their entrepreneurship and what is that? Like a, like, um, adult learning kind of things. So I did their websites and their social media and that was so great. That was so great. The, like the vice president guy, vice chancellor, maybe the original one who I dealt with, he was really, really nice, but at the end of like the baby boomer when it comes to age. So he had no idea what I was doing. And I think that that was kind of touch and go for me when it came to job security. But the guy that I dealt with directly, uh, his name was Jason and he was just awesome and amazing. I was so happy to work there. And I think that that was the best experience I had other than being self-employed. I mean, self-employed sometimes is ups and downs, but it's, I mean, across the board, come on, right? There's nothing better in the long run. Samantha. Oh, Samantha. She wants to know, you started over from zero. What would you have changed in your business? Okay. Oh, I love this question because I would have changed so many things. So I assume we're talking about the skincare and candles. So what I would have done first is I would have picked my market. I wouldn't have just put together what I thought was good. I would have researched the market a little bit. I would have made a very small selection of products. I would, when I launched, I don't even remember how many products I had, but I will say at like the high point, I had like 17 soaps and eight scrubs and 
10 to 12 candles and five lip balms and like so many, so many. Oh, I remember now that I think about it, I remember I was at a craft show and I had like, yeah, like eight different scrubs and it was all the same formula, but it was like, you know, one was vanilla scented and one was cinnamon and you know what I mean? So I would have started with a much smaller selection of products, maybe like two or three soaps max, one scrub, and just perfected those. And once I saw that there was better demand, I would have increased the availability in the different scents or whatever. Uh, I would not have been as impulsive with creating products. I would have taken the time to do market research and make sure that they were products that my customers wanted. Uh, I wouldn't follow trends. I wouldn't, I would try not to follow trends. I mean, let's be real here, right? I would not, um, I would have really tried to just keep my head down and look at my own work instead of like, what are they doing? Oh my God, they're doing really well with that. Should I do that too? Oh, okay. I'll make six of those in different sense. And you know what I mean? So I, I would have kept my head on my own paper. What I wouldn't have changed is I wouldn't have changed my wanting to know more and wanting to learn more. I wouldn't have changed the fact that it was a sole proprietorship. I guess that's not entirely true, but I I guess what I'm trying to say more is that I would have still kept it simple legally until it needed to not. And I, I would have kept my liability insurance all the time, which I did. And I definitely, I always, always recommend liability insurance. It's not as terrifying as you think. I think I had a $2 million policy and I I want to say I paid 500 a year for it. So it's not awful. If you tweet me or email me and you want that information, I will find you my old insurance broker. But yeah, it, it wasn't crazy and it's definitely worth the investment. Anything else that I wouldn't have done? Um, I wouldn't have been so stringent about not hiring and I probably would have outsourced early. It was terrifying to think of doing that and ter- you know, because you're like, I, I don't have the money. And I know I've talked about that before, but I, I wish I would have done that. And if I started over again, I would have outsourced a few aspects of it. Probably like social media, um, product packaging, packaging design. I really liked doing, but that would probably be something that I should have just left to the pros. Yeah. I, I would have outsourced. So that's what I would do if I started again, keep my selection small, make sure I have my liability insurance outsourced and focused on more market research instead of just, I'm going to make whatever I want. Does that make sense? Okay. Next question is from Tamara. Tamara wants to know, how would you recommend adding passive income to an Etsy store? I love this question. I would recommend for passive incomes, teaching what you know and offering that as a digital download of some sort. So like an ebook or a guide, uh, patterns. If you've got something that has a pattern, um, things like that, uh, skincare guides, anything that you know that you think somebody else would want to know. I would bundle that into something digital and sell that. And I know that Etsy has digital delivery options now, so that is definitely a way to do it. I would also suggest doing what's called a tripwire. 
And what this is, is for having, when you have someone subscribe to your email list for some reason, if you're offering them a lead magnet or a discount or whatever, which you shouldn't do a discount, but we've already talked about that. And I know you know better, so I won't say that anymore, but so you've had them subscribe to your mailing list and they're on your list and they get directed to a thank you page. The thank you page has a small product, like a $5 product that will be beneficial to them and is worth more than $5, I should say. So it's chocked full of value guide product thing that will make you money. And it's, it's good because you're offering them something that's related and it's not too expensive. So it's sort of an easy purchase. So that's another way to do that. Um, you can also do that. I don't know if Shopify has this ability. Maybe they do. If not, you can get a custom thing. I, I don't think that Etsy would have this. I Well, I know they wouldn't, but something else to look into when you upgrade, you move on to Shopify or, you know, you have your own website or something like that is to have this tripwire when they add a product to their cart. So having something that is like, say you are doing a face cleanser, like a toner and people buy the toner. And so they click add to cart and instead of going straight to the shopping cart, it goes to another page. It says, Hey, do you want to add a lip balm to that? To your order since you're you know face products uh that would be another way to add more income that's i know that's not entirely passive and i know that's not etsy based but it's something to think about just ways to add more more numbers right more sales so those are the two ways i would suggest um creating something digital that is your knowledge that is based on your knowledge and your experience offering it as a digital download and finding ways to add tripwires into your, uh, your checkout process. Oh, one more way would be to, so you have some sort of digital product, right? And if you have an email list and you're using something like ConvertKit, or I guess MailChimp kind of does this too, but I use ConvertKit. So that's why I base my answer on that. Um, ConvertKit has these email sequences where you can do like an onboarding sequence, right? So you can tell people your story and your favorite posts or your favorite products and blah, blah, blah. And it's all automated. So when they subscribe, it sends them into this onboarding sequence. There, you can also add a link to a digital product. Like in one of those emails about, I saw that you are interested in X. Based on X, I really want to show you this product that I make I really think it'll help you. And I know now that I'm saying that, I remember I talked about that a few episodes ago, but kind of creating this uh, sales funnel will also be another way to add more income streams and more possibilities for people to see your product, buy your product, know, like, and trust you. I hope that makes sense. Thanks, Tamara. Johnny wants to know, what do you think is the best way to determine if I can go full-time in my business. So I guess you mean that the royal eye, right? Like everybody that is kind of doing their side hustle. I don't have a specific formula. I will tell you the way that I decided to go full-time in my business. One, I hated my day job, which I'm sure is not a unique problem to have, right? And I had to do some really 
tough love with myself and my husband too. He's much better at all all the monies than I am. He is much better at that. So first I had to kind of give him a plan of what I was going to do and my projected monies so that we would be okay, that we would be, you know, he was in a position that he could kind of carry us for a couple of months, but it couldn't be forever. So I had to figure out all of my bills and so my student loans, my, my credit cards, my half of the rent, my half of the bills, entertainment budget, you know, things like that, and come up with a number, which I would tell you it, but I honestly don't remember it now. I would say, let's go on the high end and say like 2000 a month was probably the budget that I needed to make at that time, the monthly costs I had at that time. And from there, I had to figure out, okay, if I need to make 2000 a month, how am I going to do that? And at the time I had done, it was craft shows. It was like craft shows and street fairs and things like that. And so I figured out, okay, there are eight weekend, weekend days in a month, give or take. So based on that, how many shows do I have the ability to do? Well, eight or, you know, less if there was a two day show. How much do I need to make at each show? What are the costs of each show? You know, kind of figure that out. And so that was how I was able to, I think it ended up like I needed to make 400 a show back then. No, it had to be less. Well, maybe with all of the costs of the booths and everything, because I just, the name, the number 400 sticks out to me for some reason. I think that that is probably, I needed to make 400 a weekend. That was it. I needed to make 400 a weekend and that would cover the majority of my costs. And then I would get the remaining 400 from websites, wholesale orders. Essentially that was two wholesale orders a month back then to just cover that remaining thing. So maybe even three, let's say two for the sake of simplicity. So when I was able to get close to that number, that's when I was able to quit my job. And so that's what I recommend for you. Figure out all of your costs, add some padding into that, like savings, please save. I didn't. And now I'm one of those people you read about in their thirties. That's like, I should have started saving 10 years ago and now I'm catching up. So figure out your budget that includes savings and emergency funds and if you have another way to produce income, like a significant other, or uh, I, I don't even know, like if you're able to get other ways to source that income, that you'll be okay going full-time. I would say when you hit about 80% of your budget, then you're probably okay to go and go full-time. Uh, but it's, it's different for everybody. That's just the way that I did it. And I hope that helps. Uh, I wish you all the best. I really hope that you get to go full-time soon because I know that feeling, man. I know you essentially end up working like 80 hours a week, right? Between these, your passion and this day job. So we sh I'm keeping my fingers crossed for you, Johnny. Last question. Last question. This is from Sarah. Another Sarah. Megan, I know you're a Tim Ferriss fan. Yes. So I thought you'd love this question. What books have you gifted to other people? <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. 
That is true. I am a Tim Ferriss fan, as you all know. I think I mentioned that earlier. And one of the questions he asks on his podcast, The Tim Ferriss Show, is that question, what books have you gifted the most to other people? And <laughs> to the point of being a teacher's pet, uh, the four-hour work week I have bought for other people um, because I've just been like, you need to read this. It will blow your mind. And it has. I sent it to a very good friend of mine, Jared, who, yeah, like, uh, he now he gifts it to other people. And, you know, I've created this kind of chain of Tim Ferriss goodness. Uh, so the four hour work week, uh, Will It Fly by Pat Flynn, I have given to other people as well. And Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea. Tony Shea is the highest on the food chain at Zappos. And he, one, is a really good writer. And two, it was really a great book about company culture. And even if you're small or you're a solopreneur, you know, you're highest on the food chain and only on the food chain. It's still a really good book to think just about what kind of culture, what representation you're making in your business. And so, yeah, those were the three books that I have gifted the most to other people. Four Hour Workweek, excuse me, as the truck goes by. Four Hour Workweek, Will It Fly? And Delivering Happiness. And I'll link to all of those in the show notes too. But that was it, dudes. That was six questions, seven questions. It was under 10 questions. Thank you guys so much. Thank you to the people that have asked questions on my newsletter. I'm sorry if I didn't answer your question. Maybe I'll do this again if you guys are into it. But in the meantime, subscribe to the podcast because the next couple of interviews that are coming up are just going to blow your mind. Okay. So until next week, have a fantastic week. I'll talk to you soon.